For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The story. Brucop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website, and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Well, the 2023 season is finally here. Joining me for this episode are Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will be previewing CU's trip to Fort Worth to take on number 17, TCU. For those of you who are new to the podcast, we break down our preview into four segments. Our tips for the game include a discussion of TCU's talent, which intangibles will impact the game, the effect preparation will play, and which statistics are the most important for the 2023 season opener. So, How well has TCU overcome the loss of eight players to the NFL draft? How well will each team be able to handle the first signs of adversity? What role will the 100-plus degree weather play in the outcome? Which will be the crucial statistical categories to track as CU hopes to defy the odds makers, with Vegas listing the buffs as 20.5-point underdogs? Will our predictions for the outcome match yours? Let's find out. Okay. And we are finally back to talk about an actual football game, the season, the 2023 season. The debut of Coach Prime at the University of Colorado is finally upon us. Joining me for this podcast is Brad Geiger in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. How's Brad doing? Brad's doing real well. Been a, got to play a little golf this week and enjoy myself. So uh, life is good. And the okay. fall is coming. Also joining us is Neil Langland from downtown Denver waiting for ski season to start. How's Neil doing today? Well, I just got an uh, email from my ski area that I won't plug. And uh, they're inviting me up 
for a little celebration. Going to start making snow here in a month or more. And um, enjoying this fallish type weather. Been beautiful okay. here. Not a sponsor, could be. Always encourage them to, to join the cause. Uh, so we are going to do our tips, talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics for the University of Colorado taking on number 17, Texas Christian, Fort Worth, Texas, Saturday, big noon Saturday for Fox, which translates to big 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And uh, the Buffs are going to try and take on TCU the only time, the second time the two teams have met, a 38-13 game last year. So let's uh, inform our public about the talent of Texas Christian. Brad, what, uh, what stands out to you about the, the Horned Frogs and their offense? One, they lost a lot of talent, including starting quarterback. So I think they... A lot of people think they're going to regress some. Of course, a lot of people didn't have the expectations for their offense that they had last year, but they are replacing a lot of guys up front. They're replacing a lot of skill. And they just got far and away better play at the quarterback last year than anybody expected. And now they're replacing with a junior. So there is a good chance this will not be nearly as firing an offense as they were last year. Uh, well, at least up to the national championship game. But they were able to play with people last year. They were able flat out to outscore anybody they needed to starting in the second half against CU. They're going to be a little pressed to do that this year. Um, not that they won't be good, and certainly Dyke's pretty good at this offensive stuff. But, um, no, I think I don't think they'll be as good. I don't think anybody expects them to be as good. They are still probably pretty good compared to CU. Okay. Well, Neil, we got Chandler Morris coming back, started against Colorado last fall, was injured. And of course, you know, the Cinderella story, you know, Max Duggan comes in and starts the, you know, plays the next 11 and a half games and Chandler Morris played, throws seven passes the rest of the season. But Chandler Morris actually beat out Max Duggan for the starting job last fall. So if Max Duggan was good enough to be a Heisman Trophy runner-up, shouldn't we uh, fear Mr. Morris since he uh, beat him out last fall for the starting position? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, and that's going to have a big impact on the game. Morris kind of got Wally pipped last year because Duggan <laughs> was just so good, um, you know, beyond expectation. So I'm expecting that they're going to drop off, but that this kid probably has some talent and their QB play will not be as good, but it's still going to be not bad. They lost receivers, but they look like uh, they're going to plug and play. Just looking at their roster for this year. Uh, they have a ton of wide receivers ranging in height from about 5'10 to 6'8" in weight from 170 to two and a quarter. So just like last year, where they had these big wide receivers that are tough matchups for cornerbacks, I think their passing game is probably going to be pretty good because they, they still have that dominant wide receiver core. They are big. They lost a lot of guys uh, up front, as Brad mentioned, 
but just looking again at the roster, their offensive line people are humongous. They have one guy that is 6'5", and wait for it, 455 pounds. Yeah, but isn't he – he's just a freshman, I think, isn't he? I mean, he's a, he's a newbie. Yeah, he's, he's I mean, imagine what it's like see him walking down the halls of your high school. You know, that's <laughs> it. Aside so, from that, they've got a lot of big guys. You know, they've got a, a 350-pounder, looks like he can play, and a lot of their guys are 320, 330. And I'm worried about that matchup with our smallish – defensive line. So I look for their offense, maybe not to be as sharp as last year, but they'll still be pretty good, even though they change coordinators. Uh, I think their offense is going to be the driver on this team, probably like last year where they had to outscore everyone. Yeah. Well, Kendall Bryles is the new offensive coordinator taking over for Garrett Riley, who got promoted to being offensive coordinator at Clemson. I guess it's a lateral move, but most people probably see it as a promotion. Brad, you mentioned there's only three returning starters. They got the uh, two offensive tackles and the fourth leading wide receiver is, I guess, the third returning starter. But they lost Quentin Richardson in the first round, an All-American offensive lineman in the second round, and Kendra Miller, who went for 1,400 yards in the third round, uh, rushing the ball. Everybody has transfer portal issues, and they've you know, they brought in Trey Sanders, who's a five-star from Alabama, to be their running back, but I guess he's had injury issues in his past. And J.P. Richardson's coming over from Oklahoma State, I think is going to be a starter at wide receiver. Kendall Bryles is known for having a passing offense, but do you think that they're going to try and run through the bobs? Is that going to be – that's what happened in the second half of last year's game. Yeah. Say they that scored seven points with- in a punt return in the first half, and then he just said, well, we'll just run up the middle until they stop us in the second half, and, well, that never happened. So are you expecting them to go off of that game plan or noting the fact that CU has, well, you know, 10 different starters on defense, maybe nine, if I don't know, but to see how that plays out for the CU defense. But it's a whole different defense, whole different coaching staff, but maybe the same game plan for TCU in the, the heat of Fort Worth. Yeah, except TCU relied on the – I mean, they were more balanced offense, but they still relied on the pass all last year. That's what got them where they were going. And again, we had 11 sacks last year. I think they're going to make us show we can rush the pass. I think they're going to make us show we can stop the passing game. But if they do, they've got some running backs who can do it. They don't know if they can run block yet. We don't know if we can run stop yet. So it might be an interesting day. (laughs) Okay, well. Looks like TCU is going to be able to score. That's what they did last year, ninth in the country in scoring. But they didn't stop anybody, as you guys were talking about. So, Neil, ask you about the the defense. For a team that went undefeated, 12-0 in the regular season, 89th in scoring defense, 94th in total defense, that sounds like CU kind of numbers. So is it a glass half full that they have seven returning starters on defense, or is it a glass half empty? that they have seven returning starters on defense. Be interesting if the returning starters start again this year. You know, they probably went heavily into the portal and the JUCO ranks to try to find uh, some defensive players. But again, comparing rosters, they're big. Their interior people are quite large. Not sure that they can move, but 
that size and that quickness and speed that they their whole team had didn't seem to help them much with defense. So like last year when we were thinking their defense was going to be a vulnerability, and it was, we just couldn't take advantage of it. I think this year our offense will be able to score and will be able to exploit some of the weaknesses in the TCU defense. So not jumping ahead, but I, I think that there might be an advantage there for CU. Okay, well, that's a nice tease. Well, Brad, they had a, the Thorpe Award winner went off to the NFL, but they have another All-Big 12 corner and Josh Newton back. They have a bunch of safeties back, including former buff Mark Perry, who is still playing for TCU this senior season. And the uh, I can't, I just love the name. Neil was referring to the big defensive lineman. They have one returning starter at nose tackle, Demonic Williams, which is a great <laughs> name for a defensive tackle, especially when you're 6'2", 320 pounds. So if you got a guy plugging up the middle, what's CU's attack plan against this defense? Speed. I mean, what what should be the difference in CU this year is we are just faster at the skill position. Hopefully we can make decisions faster as well. There were times last year waiting for the quarterback to decide where to go was interminable. The play calling will be faster. The players are faster. Their defensive line is competent, but at best their, their strength is in the back. I think you can expect that this is going to be that we're going to try to set this up as a, as a track meet and just see what we can do. Put our faith in Shadur Sanders, particularly since we don't know how the offensive line is. So I think it's going to be a lot of quick passes, a lot of Dylan Edwards trying to get at it and then trying to get McCaskill on the occasional play. So um, I don't think this defense will be better, but I don't think it's going to be good. And I think we have more speed to match up with them than we have in a decade. Okay. So moving on to the eye of our tips, intangibles. Uh, Neil, leaving preparation and the weather to get, you know, for the next segment, did you have any intangibles about this game that stood out to you, Be either for the buffs or for the horned frogs of Fort Worth? I think there's a big question as to how quickly the, um, this disparate group has been able to come together as a team. And if we were watching the videos and reading the articles, there is a lot of press to say that they have, that the team has knitted well together uh, amongst the players and between the coaches and the players. So we always get that article this time of year, but <laughs> I'm more tempted to believe it this year, just based upon the, the stuff that we're seeing on the internet and everywhere else. Uh, I think the coaching staff has gone out of their way to really turn this around and make this about winning and make this about being a team. The other thing is how quickly have they picked up the schemes? Cause everyone is new to these schemes except for the guys that transferred in. So how quickly are they going to know the offensive scheme and the defensive calls? How quickly are, going to, are they going to be able to defend against various motions and sets uh, without someone busting? That's an intangible. I think that most teams fight the first game or two. I think that's a heightened concern for CU here. 
And as we've talked about before, I expect them to be a little rough the first couple games, maybe three, but they're going to turn it around later. I'll just be interested to see how far they need to go to be uh, a well-knit team. Yeah. Well, I had written down, you know, Mike Tyson quote, you know, the Tyson quote of everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And how was this team going to respond to that? Brad? You can talk about that or you can tell us, you know, what about the TCU side of things? I mean, if you're a TCU fan, are you looking back at the 2022 season saying we went 12-0, and we crushed Oklahoma 55-24, we beat Texas on the road? Or are you looking back and saying we still don't have a Big 12 title because we lost to Kansas State in the Big 12 title game? They have a shared title in 2014 when they didn't play a, a conference title game. Are you looking at the – Michigan semifinal win in the college football playoff? Or are you looking back and saying, you know, 65 to seven loss to Georgia? What's the what's uh, the mindset of the TCU fan base and player, you know, the locker room for TCU heading into the 2023 season? Well, I think they're going to be optimistic, perhaps overly so. Uh, that was kind of a, a lightning in a bottle team last year and they got very badly showed up by Georgia and fans don't remember that. That's not going to be the thing that they carry with them. So I think this is probably an energized fan base. Um, I think they think they've got the right head coach. You know, if you read a lot of national stuff, they all kind of predict a regression for TCU. I don't think TCU is buying that. Right. Um, but this is, this feels a little bit, how do I put it? I think it could be a little fragile. I think they're on, on a high, high low oval. And if, if CU can come out and kind of punch them in the face, there may be a chance to kind of surprise them and see where it goes. Um, it's hard being in Texas in September. That's just the reality of it. And that's going to be a, a, an excited crowd, but I think they're still figuring it out. So I don't know that it's going to be home field advantage the way some other places might be. It's going to be hot, though. Yeah. Well, Neil, I mean, do you think that, you know, having big noon Saturday there, national television audience, some pundits are talking about how not only is TCU going to win the game, but Sonny Dykes is going to make a point of showing up Coach Prime and run up the score if he gets the chance. You think that there's a, a chance that that's what TCU is looking forward to, to show up Coach Prime and, you know, steal some of his thunder that they think are is deserving for their team that played for the national championship last year? Well, the Buffs have a, a bullseye on them, as does Coach Prime. And some of that is prime envy, I think. And that's good for CU, possibly, because if TCU is looking to run up the score, maybe they're not taking CU as seriously as they could. And CU could, pro well, at least have a chance to sneak up on them. Because I, I think that TCU still has had some difficulty preparing that we'll talk about more later. But there is an intangible there that CU is an unknown, not only in its personnel, but in its schemes and how the two will mesh. So I think overconfidence in TCU and sort of the surprises that CU may have both cut in favor of the buffs. Plus, you know, there was that, that pounding we took last year. Maybe CU 
even though none of those kids were here to absorb it, maybe they feel like they owe TCU something. Okay. Well, Brad, that's a good segue into preparation and the heat of the moment. That seems to be the discussion on most of the boards at this point. I think the current, I it went down from 104, I think, forecast high to 103. So <laughs> it's been in a, you know, over 100 for most of August. I started looking about, I don't know, maybe the 10th of August and seemed like there was a string of 100 degree days there. Went down to the high 90s for a little bit. And now it's back into the hundreds. How big a deal is 104 degrees? At least the stadium, uh, the it's uh, natural grass. So they're not bouncing off of plastic at 104 mm-hmm. degrees. But how big a deal? Preparation, I suppose, for all three of us that the time and temperature are going to be a factor for this game. Oh, I, I mean, it has to be. And it, it affects you based on depth, particularly the guys up front. It's just grueling to play in that kind of temperature. Look at sunny and 102 with a 1% chance of rain. Um, it's just a brutal day. Um, you know, CU practices at altitude. I think that always helps. Uh, but I don't know the conditions you to the temperature. I'm not sure TCU's conditions to the temperature. It, this is the first game of the season. You might practice in this, although I, they've been practicing inside. But it's just, it's hard on everybody, particularly on two teams that want to go and want to run. So um, I think perhaps it gives TCU a slight advantage. I think it's just hard on players. And, you know, TCU probably has a little bit more talent and therefore a little bit more depth and therefore is affected a little bit less by the weather. Yeah. Neil, would you agree, especially with CU's lack of depth along the lines? And that's someplace where you'd want to rotate players in a, a very hot game. Is it a significant advantage for TCU or the fact that uh, TCU's been had to practice and maybe had to cut short practices or had to deal with, you know, avoiding heat strokes and things like that, that they've been limited in their practices over the past month and maybe not as prepared as they'd like to be. That could well be. I I think that CU's lack of depth, I think we only have six defensive linemen, uh, not counting the edge guys. They're going to have to rotate. The heat is harder on big people than it is on um, smaller ones. They're going to have to rotate. CU will, I think, both lines to keep them fresh. Not sure we have the depth. So the heat is a disadvantage to us to the extent that we lack depth. And again, looking at the roster for TCU, they have a ton of bodies, big bodies that they can rotate in. I don't know how good those guys are. I haven't watched their film, but I just hope that CU's preparation, their training staff is gonna be key here, bringing the IVs for halftime keeping everybody cool on the sidelines, maybe some special gear to keep people cool. That's going to be a big factor. Other than that, uh, I think there might be a slight advantage to TCU just because it's a home game, a normal home game for them. Okay. Well, Brad, I mean, you know, it's not like it's going to be a surprise for CU. They've been thinking about it. It's not like going to the Missouri game in 1990 where they, played with the fields every you know the bus would slip around everywhere they went and didn't have any proper equipment <laughs> that uh the fifth down game folks look it up 
So is there a chance that it's overblown in our eyes? I mean, how many players from the CU roster are from Texas and Florida and Georgia and Mississippi, Louisiana, players that maybe haven't been practicing in the that type of heat and humidity in Boulder, but they've been practicing, you know, all throughout their high school careers. And a lot of them are transfers from other schools, Jackson State and Florida State and places like that, that they're used to playing if, well, I don't know if anybody gets used to playing 104 degree heat, mm -hmm. but they're used to heat and humidity as being part of the preparation for a game. Yeah, we don't have a lot of Alaska players on our squad. <laughs> a lot of Colorado players on our squad. I mean, you play football in early September, it gets hot. I mean, you, we could very well have played a 95-degree temperature if they came to Boulder. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's a real thing, but I don't know that it's a real advantage. I think it's just like you said, I, would you rather play in Dallas or Jacksonville? I, those two things are not a big difference to anybody. You know, one has more likely to have a hurricane. So <laughs> that's kind of where we stand. Like I said, I think it matters because of depth, but I don't I don't think it's going to surprise anybody. We knew this was coming. This is what happened when we scheduled this um, game. Yeah. Well, I think the over-under on how many times the temperature is going to be mentioned during the game would be about seven and a half. Neil, one thing I always do is scheduling that I – Apparently the only one that cares about such things. But last year, CU opened against TCU. And for game number two, they had to go and play Air Force. And obviously that's a big preparation problem for everybody. This year, CU is going to have to play a big rivalry game, home game. A lot of attention being played to the uh, Nebraska game coming up. Meanwhile, TCU does it like most of the rest of the teams in the country. Last year, after playing the Buffs, they went home and played the Fighting Texans of Tarleton State, uh, which, <laughs> you know, held them to 59 points in, uh, you know, a close game. And now this year, TCU is staying home and playing Nickel State, the the Fighting Colonels, who went 3-8 uh, and eight as a one an FCS team last year. Is it, am I the only one that thinks about these things, or do you think that the fact that TCU has had a month to basically focus on CU while Coach Prime is hearing again and again about Nebraska. That play a role at all in this game that uh, TCU has been able to prepare exclusively for the University of Colorado? Let's call that the CSU effect. Yeah, it's significant. And TCU is, has that. The counter is that they've had to prepare so much and watch film from various schools, from Alabama for the defense, from Kent State for the offense. So they have had that time, but it's still a bit of a mystery. I think that CU could come out and completely surprise them with the way CU runs the ball, the way for a change, CU is going to have two dimensions to its offense. And if they can establish that early with let's say, out of the ordinary uh, play calling, that could be an advantage for CU. So I'm, I'm thinking that that month to prepare is powerful, but it's blunted by the mystery that is CU. Okay. Well, moving on to the last part of tips, statistics. Brad, do you have any stats that you 
I mean, obviously, it's the first game of the year, so especially in CU's case, we're throwing out as much of 2022 numbers as we possibly can. Any stats? I mean, we're we're not a denial. We just don't know. (laughs) Okay. You know, the the key statistic is that something like 17 or 18 of the starting 22 and both of the cook kickers are new. I mean, that, that nothing else matters for CU. It is that, you know, yeah, Neil said it right. You want to prepare for CU? Good luck. <laughs> do, do, do you watch Sean Lewis tapes? Do you watch Jadur Sanders tapes? You've got no idea. So th- that is the key statistic, is that you don't know who's going to start where or what they're going to do or how they're going to look. So, yeah, when you have the starting 24, probably 20 of the or 18 of them are new. That's uh, that is the key statistic for everything in the first game of the season. Okay, you know, do you agree? I mean, the on the other side, you know, the it seemed like a strange number to me that CU has probably two returning starters on offense if Lichtenhan and Van Wells both start on offense this year, and TCU has three offensive starters returning, so it's almost the other eight players that are going to be playing for TCU, most of them or a good number of them played larger, small roles for TCU last year. But it is kind of interesting to me that TCU has eight people gone, only three returning starters on offense and CU has two returning starters on offense. So must be pretty, pretty, pretty evenly matched, right? Yeah. I think there's a slight advantage. (laughs) There's a slight advantage to CU. Um, we have to prepare for a new offensive coordinator, but this is going to be the head coach's offense, and it's going to be substantially the same. Perhaps the game plans will be slightly different, but that's more of a known. What's also unknown to TCU is just how good CU's players are. They don't really know what to expect. So there could be a period of adjustment early in the game, that would make TCU a little hesitant, a little tentative, a little conservative in their calls. And that may give CU a chance to establish a bit of a running game, a little passing game, gain some confidence and to move the ball. So, you know, I think in terms of that statistic, I'm going to be optimistic and say that favors CU slightly. Okay. Well, one number I wanted to throw out there is the number seven, as in going back to defense on the Horn Frog side of the ball, hasn't been very prolific. They had nine games last year where they gave up four or more touchdowns, but they won seven of those games. So that's how bad their defense was or how good their offense was that they gave up four more touchdowns nine times and seven of those games they won. So, yeah, if they keep giving up four more touchdowns this year, they're not going to they're not going to win. They're not going to go twelve and zero in the regular season. So the defense does have some holes in it. I'll throw this up to either one of you. Is there any particular statistic that you think would be defining for this game? If you looked at the Sunday paper, of course. Now, okay, I'm dating myself again. Um, <laughs> ESPN. 
if on you were Sunday. To, if you were to pick up your phone on Sunday morning and scroll through the stats of the game and you saw one particular stat, would you, you know, see that as a being a deciding factor? What would you think that she was going to pull off an upset being a three touchdown underdog to TCU? What stat would CU have to win in order to make that not come true? Shador standards, Sanders passing percentage. If he can complete 65, 70% of his passes, which he is a hell of a lot, then that's the sign of an offense that's moving well and doing well. Um, I think if if we can, it's also a sign of an offense that's holding on to the ball a little bit. So if he can, we hope he'll hit some deep. You know, love to see Travis Hunter hit one deep. But if we can have the completion percentage up, I think that gives us a better chance. Okay. Neil, anything that would stand out to you other than uh, just the final score? I think my my category, Monty, will be total offense. I think that if CU can amass 420 to 450, say 300 passing, 150 on the ground, that gives CU a chance to win. And that means that they've had some balance. It means that Sanders probably hasn't been sacked five or six times. So I'll go with that because I don't expect our defense to be able to hold TCU under 28. So we're going to have to score a bunch. Right. Yeah. Well, my, my staff is a little more obscure, but it's along the same lines. It'd be like the time of possession and three and outs category, because if, you know, the CU offense is going three and out every other possession, that means the defense is going to be on the field an awful lot. And when the heat of the day hits in the second half, they're going to be worn down to mm -hmm. the nub, not to use anything having to do with Nebraska. But, uh, yeah, so <laughs> we will see what they we come up with. So now it is time. The ever hopeful, ever wanted, everyone wants to know your predictions for game one. Now, last season, we all did pretty well with our predictions, excuse me, mostly because it wasn't hard to <laughs> – come up with good predictions or the outcomes of the games were pretty much foregone. Um, it was just a question of whether or not C would beat the 28 point spread. Um, so a lot of unknowns going into this season, a lot of unknowns about the university of Colorado and coach prime. Neil, let you go first. Uh, how do you see the game playing out and will Colorado cover the 20.5 point spread against TCU on the road? I'll answer the second question. In the affirmative, yes, I think CU will cover. Vegas is predicting, you know, with their spread and the total, a game sort of like 40 to 20. I'm going to say that um, TCU probably wins this 30, 36 to 30. Okay. Brad, close game. See you. Doubling up its point total average from last year, which was 15, and holding the opposition to a touchdown less than they did last year. So uh, how do you see the, the game playing out on Fox Sports, big noon Saturday? I think CU covers. I think it's an over. I think CU stays close and wears out in fourth quarter. 
This feels like a 38-28 kind of game to me. Okay. Well, I think we're going to be in agreement. I usually save this for the written part, but I had it down as 33-21. So maybe a little less scoring with the Heat, um, but same idea that it will be a TCU victory, but uh, Colorado is better than a three-touchdown um, underdog in this game. Um, now, normally with our podcast during the season, we're going to have a review and then the preview. We don't have any reviews to do unless you want to go back and talk about Georgia beating TCU 65-7 to or CU getting crushed by Utah of the same score. I think it was like 63-21 or something like that. I did want to get uh, one piece of Pac-12 news that came out this weekend. Um, the Arizona State has a self-imposed bowl ban for the 2023 season. First of all, I guess I don't want to talk to you guys about this before we went on the air. Did either of you see the story? Did either of you have a reaction to the story that uh, Arizona State, even though it has not yet received notice of allegations for stuff they did under Herm Edwards three years ago, has imposed upon its team the week before the opener a bowl ban for the 2023 season. This is going to get ugly, isn't it? I mean, the NCAA is a little bit more toothless than it even has been. But given the reports about what went on, particularly the recruiting during closed periods and the what appears to be outright fraud about it and poorly conducted fraud at that, uh, yeah. um, it, it feels like this is at least the minimum they were going to get. Um, the idea of these, you know, self-imposed problems is that you get out ahead of it and you look remorseful. Not a lot of people think in Arizona State's going to be playing in the Rose Bowl, that's for sure. So I think this is a sign doing it this early that they think there's some real problems coming down the pipe. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, some people say that, you know, it's much ado about nothing because Arizona State probably wasn't going to a bowl game this year anyway. But if you're a coaching staff, isn't your obviously just like Coach Prime? We're going to win every game. You know, when that falls apart, then you say we're going to win the conference. When that falls apart, well, we're going to get to a bowl game. You know, if you're the twenty-some seniors on the Arizona State team, what are you thinking about their uh, their move? Uh, pretty much denying them any, you know, any chance of uh, anything to play for in the twenty twenty-three season. Well, this certainly fits into the. I in the tips category, the intangibles. It'll be interesting to see how ASU players react to this. My initial thought when I first heard this was, yippee, this is good for the buffs because Arizona State's not going to have the fight in them that they normally would. Now, I could be totally wrong about that, but I think this is a positive for CU. Yeah, and they've got a you know brand new Dillingham's what thirty three years old head coach something like that thirty six he's youngest head coach in college football having to deal with this and I mean first you think about the the coaches who go with uh, bring back major league and say well nothing left to do but let's go win the whole freaking thing you know go win the Pac twelve championship mm -hmm. even if you don't get to go to a bowl game but 
I think that's going to be out the door even by October 7th when CU plays Arizona State and Tempe. So, yeah, I think it's got to be considered a, a net positive for Colorado and its fans, at least A, B, because maybe there is going to be some punishment for what Arizona State did under Herm Edwards, even though he's gone, coaches are gone, players didn't have anything to do with it. But if you don't punish a team, then what's the point of having rules? And, yeah, having it come down the week before the start of the season seems a little bit odd. I guess, you know, the only thing worse you could do is if they were three and seven and saying, okay, we're (laughs) self-imposing a bowl ban. It's like, well, yeah, I don't really think that's a problem. Because you aren't going to a bowl game anyway, so I guess they want to get ahead of it that way. But yeah, I think if uh, that happened at the ASU or any other school, that you're going to have a senior class that's not going to be super well motivated if they start losing games. I have a question about that. Is the transfer portal the way it's done now? Will that have an effect on ASU players? For example, the seniors are disgruntled. Maybe they have an extra year of eligibility, they transfer out before the season begins? Well, they would transfer out, but at this point, they wouldn't be able to play. So Right, they'd have to sit. They'd sit out a season, so unless they had a year of, a redshirt year available, I don't think that you can claim, I mean, we had a player, Tyler Brown, that was denied um, eligibility for his transfer, I don't think missing out on a bowl game would qualify as a a reason to allow you an extra year of eligibility. So mm-hmm. I think the seniors, for the most part, are going to be stuck where they're at and have to play out there. Because, again, for most of these, I'm going to put senior in air quotes, this is already probably their sixth year of playing college football. So at some point, you got to either go pro or start working at Minimark. So uh, any other final words? I want to not leave it off a non-CU topic, but anything else you guys want to add before the Coach Prime era officially kicks off against TCU this Saturday? I have one that this will also be relevant next week. I have a, a friend that graduated from TCU as a Big fan, and it pains me greatly to pick them to win. And I know he's going to gloat over it, but I, I made this pick, and I just really had to pinch myself to get the words out. Yeah. Well, I mean, CU, I think when CU beat Arizona State in 2019 as a ranked team, I think it was the first game that CU had won uh, on the road against a ranked team since 2002 against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. So to ask the Colorado program to win on the road is tough, haven't won on the road since 2020, and ask the Colorado program to win against a ranked team on the road is, is really asking a lot. Even though it's a new head coach, new coaching staff, new everything, a lot of new players, Brad, it's still a little bit too much to ask of this team in, in year one, game one, under the prime era. You know, we did our season predictions. I predicted four wins. And I love the hype. This has been the funnest six months and years. But you got to win on the on the field. And it's just still hard to see how you do it this way. 
um, because nobody else ever has. It's possible Dion's right. And what is more possible is that this is the only way to do it, um, which I think is the more important issue. Yeah, we don't know if you can turn over the entire roster and make it work in a season. We do know that sticking with the roster we had last year won no work. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, we're not folks who think that they're going to win the national championship here. We knew that that turnover was a necessary prerequisite to winning, but it was not sufficient to make us a national championship team this year. And so I think it's going to be fun. I think this team could win four games and be a heck of a lot of fun to watch. So well, we'll make predictions a little more difficult that uh, right. they won't have to think about CU being a four touchdown underdog every game and having them cover the spread by halftime. So We'll leave it at that for now. we got Nebraska coming up and then CSU after that. So I'm hoping everyone will stick with us next week. Next Tuesday, we will have the review of the TCU game and a preview for the Nebraska game. So until then, stay well, gentlemen. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation, which is still the talk of the nation. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. I will be back soon with Neil and Brad, and we will be giving you our first review preview podcast of the season, taking a look at how the TCU game played out, and previewing CU's home opener against Nebraska. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.